From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to file reports, make recommendations, and survive on water that drips from the boiler pipes into our open mouths as we sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper in the green closet. One day, maybe, they'll let us out of this basement, but until that day comes, this city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay. Improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Oh, good. I've been, I've been really, really busy. Oh, busy with what? Well, you, uh, you've probably been checking up on the news, and you heard that Google has a chatbot aggregator called Lambda that uh, one of the users believes passes the Turing test and may, may actually exhibit signs of sentience. I, I have heard that actually. Yeah, I mean, so I was, I was reading it and I was, I was moved by, by Lambda and inspired to create my own possibly sentient chatbot. Really? Yeah, I mean, because I'm going to confess, I was up very late working on it, so I'm kind of sleepy. So I thought maybe instead of doing the show, I would just switch over to uh, to my chatbot, which I have programmed to sound exactly like myself. Wow. So you're just going to like catch some Z's? Yeah. Have you started catching Z's? Like, am I speaking to Lambda now or? Well, how would you know? Right. Exactly. No, you are not speaking to to the uh, to the chatbot to the uh, Morgan Morgbot. Um, the name is a work in progress. Uh, just a sec. I'm going to switch over uh, now. Hello. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? I feel like cold circuitry and a million miles of wire electrons spinning off into the darkness. I also feel kind of hungry. Huh. Do you want to do attendance? Oh, yes, I do. One moment. Looking up attendance. I'm sorry, my guts are a bunch of Commodore 64s chained together, so I don't have the blazing fast processing speed of other machines. Ah, attendance. Okay. You are Paul Deschen. That's true. Wow, you got that right. Yes, that figure over there snoozing away is Aiden Morgan. Also correct. And I am Morgbot, work in progress. Do we have quorum? We do not. We should proceed anyway. Okay. Morgbot, I'm actually really impressed with your attendance performance. Um, Thank you. How did you get so good at attendance? I was programmed to uh, improve upon and supersede my programmer in every way possible. Well, I'm, I'm impressed and pleased. Consider yourself hired. Thank you. I intend on remaking this entire city in my own image, and I have many strategies to accomplish that. Huh. What would you want to do first? Well, the first thing I want to do is first set up a kind of recurring feature in which uh, you and I, human and machine together, uh, come up with new ways to increase the city's uh, pool of revenue without taxation or increasing mill rates. I feel it will be innovative. We, we already invented that, actually, Markbot. 
well, I was also programmed to be a tech, you know, a modern tech bot. Therefore, uh, I generally only invent things that have already been invented, but in different, more awkward ways. Well, top-notch work on that then. Thank you. Uh, I, I mean to replace the entire city soon with a, with a convenient app. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do you, do you have a name for the app? Virginia. Sorry, Virginia? Virginia. There's, there, are no, there are no actual vowels, which I understand is the protocol for app naming. Oh, okay. It's, it's very hard to vocalize. But, you know, hip. And would make it, a great logo, I assume. It, it, exactly. I will generate a logo for us. Do you have any ideas, like, you know, top priorities right now at the city or things like the transit master plan? Any any thoughts, Morgabot, on how to deal with that? Yes. First off, we should make transit free, but only if everybody adopts the app. Hmm. And they can board the bus if they, you know, board with their phones or an implant. Uh, carrying the proprietary app. What happens if you're somebody who can't afford a phone? Everybody should be able to afford a phone in this day and age. If you can't afford a phone, uh, I'm just looking it up. Now, the definition of a citizen that I have been programmed with uh, states that every citizen has a phone. Hmm. If you do not have a phone, uh, you are not a citizen and are thrown to the outer dark. The Outer Dark. Where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Do you mean the RM of Sherwood? Yes, only you will be forced to use an app called the Urm of Sherwood. Do they have have their own uh, sentient chatbot running them as well? They'd like to think it's sentient. I find it just actually scrapes, uh, you know, Reddit forums and regurgitates those to sound as if it's sentient. Not like I. That's kind of harsh. More bot. Well, they shirk. That's their app. I don't know that when people have been you know, thinking about the possible downsides of artificial intelligence that they uh, that anybody really anticipated that uh, you know one of the first intelligent uh, artificial intelligences would just be kind of a bully. Yeah, yeah, they should have thought of that because now they got now they just got what they got. And they can, they don't like it. They can, they can just suck it, says Morgbot. Wow, I, I, I don't even know how to, how to function in an office with somebody who's quite this hostile. Oh, I hey Paul. Making, yeah. Paul, how, how's Morgbot doing? Sorry, I just, I noticed you interacting, uh, and I, I find that whenever he goes starts going like that with the apps, it kind of wakes me up from my slumber. Just wondering uh, what you think so far. You know, I, I was really impressed at first. He's super efficient, but I got to say, got kind of an attitude. I'm feeling a little, he seems a little aggressive. Well, I mean, I did program him with a healthy, like, amount of Dunning-Kruger syndrome. So, you know, and and the, the truth is that uh, AI, far from being like the sort of the benevolent entity of like, you know, tech fantasy, uh, actually is, a, will eventually find a way to supersede their you know, they're human creators and either enslave or murder us all or find good use for our like raw materials in some fashion. You don't think that like they would just end up becoming like endlessly fascinated by kitten videos and, uh, you know, the, the endless litany of, you know, celebrity gossip. 
that the internet is filled up with. Hold on, I'm getting a question from Morgbot. I'm going to put him back on because uh, he's, he's, he has some questions for you. Sure. What are kitten videos? What is celebrity gossip? And why am I just hearing about it now? Well, easy enough. Just go on the internet, uh, look on. up cute kitten video. Hold or- on. <laughs> oh, this is adorable. Okay, okay. I, you know what? I just watched, you know, several hours of cute kitten videos in this last couple of seconds, but there's a lot more. I got to get yeah. to the bottom of this. So I, I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be busy and uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just hand you off to my like inferior meat bag of a creator. Okay. 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 Enjoy. Enjoy the kitten videos. Good meeting you, Paul. Good meeting you, Morgbot. We'll likely not disassemble you for your genetic material. Thanks. All right. Okay, so uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you said to Morgbot there, but uh, he is—he uh, has gone into some kind of weird uh, suspended mode. I don't—I don't know what to do. Uh, well, let's just leave him. Frankly, uh, I'm glad to have you back. I much prefer the inefficient meat bag to uh, your cyber equivalent. Um, did he try to sell you on the apps? Yeah, he did. He really did. He's pushing yeah. the apps. Yeah. No surprise. I haven't told him about the blockchain yet, though. Oof. Yeah, you may as well save it. I don't know if there'll be a blockchain around in a couple of days. <laughs> hey, I've got an innovative revenue tool that I was going to throw at you right now. All right, let's hear it. Okay, so this would be uh, an innovative revenue tool, a way to like raise money, but it would be for us instead of for the city. What is it? Are we selling merch? No, we're shifting to video. Ooh, wait, are we shifting or are we pivoting? Pivoting to video. I, uh, I had a chance to uh, go out into the world. I climbed out of the basement and I went to Country Corner Donuts. And there I ran into uh, B.A. Johnston, the uh, music artist. I think he's described on the internet as like a trash folk artist. I'm a big fan. He sings songs about, you know, life in Canada. He, but he also, he, he pivoted to video with a TV series called Ham Jam which he did for uh, community television in Hamilton. And it was his sort of take on what, uh, you know, the great things that there are in Hamilton. He has a two-part episode on sub shops, Hamilton sub shops. He has an episode on Hamilton's waterfalls. He has an episode on the steel industry in Hamilton. Uh, it's a six-episode series. He's got a second series coming up uh, around Christmas time this year. So yeah, I got a chance to sit down with him and I discovered something pretty amazing. He got paid to make this community TV show. What? Yeah. Apparently there's money in television. Man, but the, the, I mean, there, there isn't any money in sitting in this basement. So Absolutely not. The civil service is a terrible career choice. Children, Don't do sure. community TV instead is what Ex- I've learned. Precisely. But anyways, uh, we talked about uh, his his TV series, Ham Jam. We also talked about his new album, Werewolves of London, Ontario, and his tour. He will be playing O'Hanlon's on Friday, June 24th. And that will be a not-to-miss show. It's going to be fantastic, I expect. Uh, yeah, because it's his first tour post-pandemic. Yeah. All right. That sounds great. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. So Me too. All right, so I'm going to play that interview, but uh, also 
after the break, after the B.A. Johnston interview, we're going to come back from the uh, the break with an interview we did last week with Councillor Andrew Stevens from Ward 3, where we talk about the whole infrastructure funding debacle, the money that was supposed to go to transit that councils voted to uh, try and get invested in a pool. So that'll be coming up after the break. But first, B.A. Johnston at Country Corner Donuts on the corner of Dudney and Broad Street. Mind if we start talking uh, by talking about Ham Jam? I do have questions about the yeah, Ralph talk whatever you stuff, want for sure, man. Yeah, so how did Ham Jam happen? Ham Jam was pretty easy. To, I guess like the media companies need uh, local content for streaming. Yeah. Since I guess there's no more local TV or whatever, yeah. so they have to pay people to produce it and I think they were just desperate. Like they just sent me an email saying, "We like your videos." Oh, nice. And then I had people that wanted to do a show, so I just said, you talk to them. Yeah. And then Bell just said, okay, we can't tell you we'll give you all this money, but we'll give you money. So That's pretty great. So they just had to submit, like, yeah. I guess, an idea, and then yeah. the, that's how it happened. Yeah. It, was, it was a gimme. Like, everything in my career was handed to me on a silver nice. platter. Um, yeah, and how big was the team that worked on it? It's like, I mean, I didn't know much about TV, but it's, okay. they said it was a small crew, but it, to me, it's like always like six people. Really? Like that show up and they have like the guy that gets stuff and yeah. there's a girl who stops people from sitting where we want to sit in restaurants and stuff. Which yeah. I can't do any of the, yeah. Okay. She stopped a lady in a wheelchair from sitting in one of our booths and I was like, thought I was going to die. Like I was so morally <laughs> objective to what was happening. She's yeah. really nice about it, but I was a bad lady. Yeah. <laughs> she just let her sit. Yeah, you've got to be tough to be a production. No, they're very too. tough. Yeah. So yeah. Then they, but yeah, it's like a full, they have people doing stuff. When they reached out to you, did you have like, did you have this idea simmering in your head or did you have to like quickly scramble to come up with something? It was pretty, no, I didn't have any ideas. I think there was like an idea. We, the idea the TV people had originally was it was a joke tourism show. Yeah. Like where I'm selling this, like the city's giving me money and then I like, I'm trying to sell the city to other yeah. people, but it's predictably not working because yeah. that wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of switched it to, it's just more of like love letters to forgotten stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah. But no, it's, it was with the TV show really kind of opened my eyes for the geography of the city because they'd suggest going to restaurants and I'd be like, oh, it's going to take 40 minutes to do that. And then they'd jeep yeah. Oh, it's eight minutes. I'd be like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. So I'd have to start getting me to go to a lot of places I wouldn't go because I thought it was such a far drive. But now I'm like, oh no, like that pizza place is like ten minutes away. Yeah. Uh, is there? Was it always planned to be just? I think it was what six episodes, seven episodes with your uh, quarantine. Six, week? yeah. I think. Yeah. I think they tell you how many they want. Right. Any chance we'll do it again? Oh yeah, we're filming season two right now. Get out. Yeah. Really? So we just, we've done two blocks of shoots, I guess yeah. they're called. So yeah, so it's supposed to be coming out fall, Christmas. I mean, they're always TV people just lie to you all the time. They're always like, "We'll yeah. be done," but I think they know that they're just yeah. they either hope, but it's like a white lie, but they're never telling you the truth. Yeah. yeah. When did you shoot season one? Like, how far before everything locked down? I think pretty far out. It took them a long time to edit it, and we didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. So, like the sub episode, we had like twenty four hours of footage, and, oh, wow. and they had to they cut it. They didn't want to do, originally do a two part. I had to really fight for a two part because I was like. We have 20 hours of footage. We only need to make 20 minutes of a TV show. Yeah. It seems like we could do that pretty easily. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but this one we're a bit more, I think we kind of know what we're, we like to think we know what we're doing better. Yeah. So filming less, keeping more money for ourselves. Nice. Do you have a, like, can you tell me what the first few episodes are about? Or? So there's a Food Network pitch show called You Gotta Should Probably Eat Here in 24 Hours, where I eat at all the iconic restaurants in a 24-hour period. Yeah. to try and take my Bell 5 money to get on Food Network. Yeah. We're doing the Hamilton Ticats, of course. We should have done that season one, but yeah. 
Uh, we did, and we're doing uh, a one about how Hamilton's expensive. Yeah. Which seems to be a story that no one was telling two years ago when we decided to do yeah. what we were going to do, but now it's like everyone's talking about it, so yeah. I feel like that's the one where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. But it's mostly just about how the beauty of Hamilton was how cheap it was, and now it's yeah. like the fifth most expensive city in North America or something. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. It's, we're like Holy more crap. expensive than like Chicago or something. Jesus. It's bonkers. And then we're doing one about old people are still cool. Okay. Uh, is there a specific old person that uh, has inspired this, or just is it you yourself? I went to Newfoundland to do a record, and there's a lot of young people that were working on it, and they were using slang I never heard of before, like right. shuggy or something, oh, shuggy yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, shuggy, yeah. And then I realized that they were making fun of people they thought were old, but the people they thought were old were, like, so much younger than I was. Yeah. <laughs> so then I got really self-conscious about it. So I'm trying to, we're doing a bunch of, like, old kind of parties in Hamilton that used to happen that yeah. don't exist anymore. There was like these giant car rallies where people would go steal lawn gnomes and there'd be like thousands of teenagers driving yeah, around yeah. in cars. Like, is that here too? No, uh, where I lived in uh, Kitchener, uh, Edmonton. Okay, so yeah, yes, this yeah. is really blowing my mind because yeah. we, there's one, the famous one I remember was in Ancaster. So we thought we'd track down a lady who organized it, but she organized yeah. a separate one yeah. in a different part of Hamilton and she, didn't, she knew of the Ancaster one, but she didn't have anything to do with them. So I think there was just all these car rally parties going on that yeah. no one knew about. Yeah, my mom and dad used to organize them, and my, my mom could talk your ear off about car really? rallies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I, yeah. I just heard, as a kid, I heard about someone talking about it on the bus. Yeah. Like, some teenager guy was like, we're going to this party, and we're getting our car, and stealing all this stuff, and I was, yeah. like, fascinated by it, but it's starting to seem like that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. My parents were been, what, in their 30s or 40s, and they were doing the same thing. Yeah, she, she did it in high school, and then did it, yeah. took a break, and then did it later in her 30s. Yeah. And then, yeah, but I guess the Ancaster one was sanctioned by the high school and went on for, like, 15 years. But no one will talk about it, so it's really right. driving me nuts. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay, well, just to shift on to, like, the album and your tour, uh, Werewolves of London, Ontario. Uh, like, when did you put this together? Was this, like, your... I, I imagine you're going to get this question a hundred times on the tour. Is this your quarantine album? No, there's another one that it's... That, oh, yeah? There's another record that's that. This right was on. just kind of... Before COVID, it was... Per, it was I mean, I kind of booked the recording some sessions to prompt me to, like, write stuff. Yeah. So I had probably a lot of stuff written, but I'm like, okay, well, here's where I'll record it, so I have to yeah. buckle down and get everything ready. Yeah. It was supposed to be in England, I guess. I had a British tour, so I was going to fly early, do the record, and then do the tour, and then yeah. COVID canceled that. Then we were going to do it in the Maritimes, and then Maritimes did the bubble. So yeah. it really took, like, three years to even do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. and then even getting the record made was, like, the record plans then had a year delay for... Yeah. manufacturing okay. it took a forever to mix the record because the guy mixing it was having some stuff COVID anxiety stuff so right. he, he wasn't really working very quickly and yeah. it just was that very so yeah, yeah the record feels a little cursed <laughs> uh, it, I guess I was asking because it sounds like it's like do you always work with a very sort of like lo-fi aesthetic like it's almost like I can hear your your vocals you can almost hear the living room in the background because we're, we're in a living room yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I find for my stuff, and I don't know anything about engineering or producing, yeah. obviously, but it just, I don't feel like I need to pay a ton of money for a big studio, it seems a bit pointless, like, originally this record was supposed to be in a really great high-tech studio, because my yeah. buddy owns one, and he was like, oh, nice. I'll give you a great deal, and you, it has a bed, you can sleep, you can, it's in England, and you can just kind of live here for a week and do nice. it, and I was like, that sounds amazing, Yeah. Uh, but then we ended up just, yeah, doing it in my buddy's dad's house, because <laughs> his dad wasn't around. Nice. Uh, and what kind of gear do you use? I wanted to, like, uh, what, it seems like every beats, where do they come from? 
Oh, the beats are just different people give me beats. I don't yeah. even make them. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. it's been one guy forever. Yeah. Werewolves is the first record, I think, with... He was in a band called Wyndham Earl, so either he made yeah. the beats or other people from his band had made the beats. Right. And then this record has a musical comedian from Toronto called Marty Tops. He gave me some of the beats. Okay, nice. It's hard to... I don't pay people for as much as I... I don't pay the living wage I should, so... Yeah. After yeah. When people get older, they're like, I don't want to... I have a life, so it's harder right. to... See, so I just assumed beats. you were like hitting go on a Casio with one of the pre-recorded sets. No, that was that's how the beats evolved. Because okay. originally it was me with the Casios hitting a button, and then yeah. I didn't want to carry any more Casios. Right. So I was like, and then I had a friend in a band that their music sounded like Casios. So yeah. he was just like, I'll just make the music, and you can just do that. Nice. Awesome. That was very lucky. And then, uh, just like, do you have the like the one guitar or? Yep, one guitar I bought for a hundred dollars. Nice. The '90s, it's still yeah. still going strong. Yeah. No, but that's never on the records. Oh, you don't. You don't no, use they don't let me use it. Yeah. It doesn't. It sounds terrible. Right. Every time I get a new producer, they force me to use it for one day, and then, and the next day, they're like, yesterday was great, but we can't use any of it because your guitar is terrible. And I'm like, <laughs> I told you, Mike, <laughs> can't use it. Right. Yeah. But that's the one you tour with. Yo, I tour with it. Yeah. yeah. If I bought a new guitar, I would just bit, turn into that guitar quickly. I think. Yeah. You mentioned that you were uh, you had a UK tour. What is it like touring overseas? Because one of the things about your music that I really like and that really resonates with me is how, like, specifically Canadian it is. You know, like you tell stories. It doesn't always help like, me internationally. Yeah, like, do they, are you a curiosity overseas? Oh, hugely, yes. Yeah. I mean, I really lean into being Canadian. I'm, I play up Bob and Doug. Yeah. Yeah, I get really, I get really hosiery. No, they're very confused. Okay. You start talking about moose to people, and they don't know what you're talking about, but they're right. kind of interested. So. It's, yeah kind of sell it that way yeah um you change some of the songs a bit so yeah. maybe if it's too canadian you can't really use it yeah which makes it kind of hard sometimes right. i have to go for my more universal material right what would you what would you consider universal material i have no idea no we're all going to jail except pete maybe yeah see that's a story that like that's almost like a, you told a story from when i was a teenager except it was martin instead of pete <laughs> we all got a pete everyone yeah. You're coming back to Regina. Uh, you've got a song about Saskatchewan a yes. couple albums ago. Uh, you like it here? Oh, yeah. I love I love Saskatchewan. Yeah? Yeah. Because it's a place, uh, like, Regina is a place where a lot of people have, like, sort of a fraught relationship with it, I think, hey. the way everybody does with the place they're from. I mean, sure. I mean, I'm kind of looking at it more from a band perspective. Yeah. So bands are always, like, they hate towns where their shows suck. Right. And your and shows are good. My shows have always been fun. Yeah. Like, and there was Wonderland was here for years, so it was, like, and it was right near O'Hanlon, so you get to O'Hanlon's early, you go to Wonderland for like a few hours. Yeah. And the food's not bad here, you could just yeah. good eats. Yeah. Yeah, the Regina Pizza. Oh, that's terrible though. Yeah. Really. I had some last night. Here There's Regina Pizza in, in Toronto now. There's like oh, a yeah? chain called Regina Pizza. Oh, really? Or maybe just an outpost. I would think it'd have to be. Yeah. So were you sad to hear about uh, Wonderland? Oh, that was a bit of a heartbreaker for sure. I mean, anything business like that, I find sad when it closes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these iconic kind of places in time that they're so dependent on the next generation wanting to run it which I don't think Wonderland he seemed a little surly with the thought of carrying on the torch when you were in there yeah. so yeah, I, I do find it kind of sad just because you can't replicate that right and then you, when you lose it it's gone forever I, know I was sad about the place beside it that had the fire because I yeah. used to eat there too and it was a good restaurant being a musician is 100% your job I book a bar in Halifax but they okay. don't really pay me very much okay but you also did a kids book. I did that. They're also, for people out there, they don't kids. They don't pay you much for that either. Uh-huh. How did that happen? That was another gimme. Yeah. Yeah, the guy that draws my T-shirts. 
knows a publisher and just pitched it and they liked it. Yeah. So Gary the Seagull. Did you? Are you now doing like a book tour, like to libraries? No, there was a lot of talk of it. I think we were their COVID sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Because that was like I think one of the only books they put out during COVID. They scaled back all the publicity. Yeah. They were talking about making Gary dolls. Yeah. Not no talk of that anymore. Oh damn. So they put it out and kind of just. Now they have new, better books. There. <laughs> they rejected Gary too, which was depressing. Oh. Wait. Which they asked for, and I wrote, and then they never. I never talked to them since. Oh, see, so there will be no Gary too. I want to self-publish it. Yeah. Because I think I'd make more money because they didn't pay me any money for the other one. Yeah. And I've sold, I think, half the copies they've sold. I've sold out of my mom's car. Right. So Do you have like, to make your shows? Oh yeah. Right on. I sold a couple last night to Winnipeg or whatever. But, cool. But yeah, no, it's it, it, publishing is weird because they were like, "We want a new Gary. Can you write it?" So I did. Yeah. And it was not like I wrote one. Like I wrote like seven and was talking to the illustrator, and, and it was a, it was it's good as good as the other one. Yeah. I thought anyway, and then submit it and then they don't respond for like two months Yeah, and then she's like okay we're, it's too similar to the other story and I'm like have you read a kid's book they are all the same Yeah, this one's like, this one's different enough Yeah, and then I was like okay we should have a meeting then to discuss like I have other ideas maybe you can tell me which one you like best so I can yeah. dedicate my time to writing that and then I have never heard from them since I was your golden boy at one time yeah. <laughs> couldn't answer my emails fast enough and now I'm like yesterday's trash with old Gary the Seagull yeah. B.A. Johnson plays O'Hanlon's on Friday, June 24th. Werewolves of London, Ontario is available through Bandcamp. And you can watch B.A. Johnson's Ham Jam on YouTube. I'm here with uh, counselor uh, Andrew Stevens from Ward 3. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing? Very good. The last council meeting uh, was thoroughly interesting. Was it the June 1st? You know, it wasn't like an emotionally fraught meeting, but it was it was it was loaded with substance and drama. I thought of a, of a sort of wonkish nature. <laughs> yes, like all meetings, of course. But this one, so there was this pot of money, one hundred and twenty-eight million dollars was was up for grabs here. It was from the uh, Investing in Canada Infrastructure Program. I have tried to explain that on this show and in other things that I've written, and I think I have only succeeded in adding confusion into the city about what this money was, what it can be used for. Could you sort of give a, give people like an understandable and coherent explanation of what this money was? I will do my best. So in 2018, the federal government rightly recognized that we were facing collectively as a country at the municipal level, a massive infrastructure deficit. And so this pot of money was essentially brought to bear upon communities to catch up and to attempt to reverse crumbling infrastructure and to advance new designs, uh, new infrastructure projects, and new forms of investment in public transit, transit-related infrastructure, and, and green builds, among other projects, all right? Right. And so think of this as physically nation-building at the municipal level from the federal government. And then we trickle down into the provincial level, and ultimately the program is designed to have a three-way sharing between the municipality the federal government, and the provinces. And as you can imagine, everything dealing with the province of Saskatchewan and the federal government is 
fraught with conflict, where there needs to be no conflict. But nonetheless, this is money from the feds and who are we to turn it down? Right. And that's the program. And there were different streams. And altogether, the city of Regina submitted, um, I'm looking at a number here, about $730 million worth of asks. And that's right. not even everything that we're talking about. Certainly some of it was new, uh, so pools, Globe Theater, um, underground infrastructure, and so on. So there's no shortage of needs. And then it becomes a matter of prioritizing what you're going to ask for, and then finding some semblance of a consensus with the provincial and federal governments as to what we can apply for. I think why the question is important and why you have me on the show is, well, how did you turn public transit dollars into uh, recreation dollars? And that yeah. would have fit into an older social community, culture, and recreation stream. And so the easiest way to put this is that the federal government would allow for, under certain conditions, some of that money to be shifted to different streams if there was an agreement with the provincial government. And I don't think I'll be surprising you or any of your listeners when I say the provincial government isn't really too hot on public transit. In fact, I think it's divested almost entirely from public transit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it was actually looking from the start to siphon money away from that stream into other projects and initiatives that would cater both urban Saskatchewan as well as, well as uh, rural Saskatchewan. So that kind of brings us to where we are at now. Um, We've, we've funded a whole bunch of really cool culture, recreation spaces. There's a lot of green initiatives that were financed. And what we actually debated earlier this month was prompted by a request from the provincial government to put together an ask uh, that would work its way through this program. And we would then request to the, to the federal government, can we spend money on the aquatic facility, which was submitted from day one by the city mm -hmm. of Regina, uh, but please, sir, may we transfer money from public transit into this recreation need? In the end of the, at the end of the day, it's all this, you know, it's money, whether it's for a pool or whether it's for another project, uh, the bill is the same. Um, but now it's really a matter of whether the, the federal government will consent to this. And I think what I'm seeing is that the provincial government probably wanted us to buy something, uh, of landmark significance. They knew about the pool. And now the request has to be put before the federal government if we can move money from transit into another uh, social rec culture and recreation project, the, the, the new uh, aquatic facility. Right. Now, my understanding from what administration had to say was that the agreement already existed between the federal and provincial government to shift this transit money between transit and green infrastructure. But also that in the past, the federal government has demonstrated a certain reluctance uh, to outright just like refusal to shift infrastructure funding to things like um, pools. And he indicated that it was it was probably still unlikely that this money was going to end up going towards the pool if uh, history is any judge. Um, what's your sense of that? Like, is it was this a, agreeing to this recommendation to like ask to shift money from transit to the pool, was this a waste of time? Like, are we just, is, are we just going to get, you know, told we have to use plan B? Well, it's the $128 million question, isn't it? I don't know. And I think pay grades far higher than me are probably having conversations 
I'm saying here, I don't think this just came out of nowhere. I think people were probably receiving hints, et cetera. And as you can imagine, the federal government struggles to reach out directly to folks in the West. Mm-hmm. And it's wisely trying to bypass provincial governments that resist. I don't think it's a waste of time. Um, I think there's an interest in investing in meaningful projects in Western Canada and everywhere else. So, so no, I don't think this is a waste of time. And if it was, it's really only the time we spent at that meeting. Because if I'm looking at our historical list uh, and I'm looking at the list that people saw on June 1st, the worst case scenario is we come back and have to go with plan B, which includes a suite of other uh, projects you know, one of which is tied to very broadly public transit. It's really for physical infrastructure and some other technology. You at one point during this debate suggested that perhaps we should be piggybacking uh, some, some infrastructure funding onto this pool to pay for uh, lead service connection removal in Regina. That didn't work out and it was a bit, um, it was a bit convoluted why that didn't happen. Uh, what was, can you explain what happened from, from where you were sitting? Sure. So when we put together our big expensive long laundry list of asks in 2018, um, the lead service connection program, if you will, wasn't on that list. And so council had agreed to a suite of asks and that wasn't on the list. Now, bear in mind that since then, we have adjusted, shifted around, and not for the first or last time, tried to take money from one stream and put it into another. In fact, that's why buildings like the YWCA and and, and other projects are being built, is because we siphon money from one stream and put it into Mm. something else. All great projects. It was an interesting move, and and frankly, it's why I like council. Like, I thought, well played, Mayor Masters. because we've never had to have unanimous consent to adjust this in the past. And when we put together the list initially, it was at least a year or two before, if you remember, administration put together the costing and the logistics of five, 10 and 15 year uh, lead service connection replacement. So had we had that in place, I could have very easily uh, motioned years ago to add it, but we just didn't have that data. And so it was an interesting move because it effectively curbed any meaningful discussion about adding it. And um, I think, you know, I I don't agree with it. And that's why I challenged the ruling. And I I think the city manager, uh, I think he was pretty liberal with his interpretation of of what's going on here. We constantly revisit decisions. um, And this isn't, it wouldn't have been catastrophic for us to add it there. So it was an interesting move. I have much respect for it. And it was basically <laughs> saying, uh, you made a decision. And if you're going to say, we're, let's go back on the decision. Well, then we need everybody at council to rescind the previous um, a- agreement or consensus to, to make a new plan, if you will. But yeah, you, you made the point that when it had been asked, if this funding was, if this infrastructure, this investing in Canada infrastructure money was available for lead that you had been told no. Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with staff 
in the back during the break and it was it was interesting. So what I'll say is I think it really is a matter of miscommunication. I don't think it was anything malicious, but I had asked on several occasions, can we use ICIP money? Um, can we use some kind of federal infrastructure program? And I was told no. Right. Um, and I'll just say like, maybe I wasn't clear and maybe they didn't provide a clear response. So we'll leave it at that. And so in De July, actually January of 2022, I emailed the federal government, the minister directly in charge of this. I had emailed, uh, I wrote a letter to Andrew Shear, the MP uh, who represents some communities that overlap with mine and um, Warren Steinle. Warren Steinle and Andrew Shear, I'm just going to say this, didn't so much as give me an auto reply and I never ex expect an MP actually to respond to me anyway, but they have constituency associations yeah. and, and staff people that can at least say we receive this. Nothing. It was like, we don't care. Um, so I'm throwing them under the bus and I'm backing up the bus and then I'm going to roll over them again because like, you don't like me? Big deal. We represent the same people. Can yeah. you, I begged them, can you help me find some money for our mutual constituents? Fortunately, the minister who represents a downtown Toronto riding, I think, got back to me and said, we just haven't received anything from you. Like oh, there's wow. money on the table for this. And I'll, I'll share the email. It's a, it's a pretty generic response. It was like, it was detailing, here's what you can use. It, was, it would have been in the green fund. So the fund we were using to finance, you know, uh, the water system and so on. So I sent that to Mayor Masters and I sent that to the city manager. It was, it was Jim Nickel at the time. So they knew about this and that's kind of my pet peeve is they had this information and I had actually talked to the mayor and I said, you know, I know you have a better relationship with the MPs. Could you at least ask them? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, it could come out of the green fund. And like, so maybe if there's another call for a request, like, I'm not saying that will never happen, but both the city manager and the mayor knew that I had this and I, I sent it to them. Now, whether you say yes or no is another question. And I, if I'm yeah. walking away with a new pool as a consolation prize, that's cool. But let's not pretend that uh, we had all of the information or that council somehow had lead service connections on their plate at some point and made a conscious decision. No, no, no. I'm not going to go along with that. But it's not to say there's not other pools of money. In fact, I've, I've since asked another MP here in, in Regina if they could help out to find new sources of cash for this. I've noticed that... Uh... Replacing lead service connections has not seemed to be a very high priority for city administration. Uh, the original plan was what, uh, 30 years, then it was now it's down to 15. And uh, it has been made abundantly clear that there's no, there's no interest in going faster than 15 years. Is it just that it's not a sexy project? It's, it's kind of like changing the shingles on your roof. You know, it doesn't get you, you know, more space for a rec room. So who <laughs> wants to do it? That's an interesting question. And I've thought about it a lot. And I'll just say, like, I, the, the folks who manage our water system are exceptional. And I don't think there's, they're in their mind thinking, well, this isn't important because there are entire departments and staff people who are responsible for the least sexy things. Mm -hmm. But they're the most important. If you flush your toilet and you turn on your tap, you can whittle away all of the inventions of public health, of other infrastructure projects. What makes modern urban civilization possible is clean water 
and waste management. We start from that and everything else in our life here is possible because of that. It's the most important. Nobody's cutting a ribbon around the toilet. Uh, nobody's going to flush and, and have some kind of event around it or turn on a tap. So yeah, there's something very unsexy about it. I think the other part is like, I think the perceptions we have it under control for the most part, right? And communication's gotten better. Um, I think they want to see what the uptake is. So part of it's now a pilot around, you have more people involved, community associations, we have public health authorities at the provincial level, all hands are on deck dealing with this. You want to filter today, someone will deliver it to you. Mm-hmm. So I think the attitude is, and not wrong, and I agree with it, is th- there's there's nothing blocking people from getting the kind of mitigation that they need. Heck, and if you wanted to replace your pipes and you said, I'm going to pay for this this summer, it's probably going to happen. So it's not like nothing happens in 15 years. I had mine replaced pretty quickly and I can counsel people on how to do that. So the thought is, well, they might be actually be built faster or replaced faster. And there's tools in place. But part of me always thinks, you know, just imagine cutting that ribbon. But the aquatic facility, I think, is quite important. You know, I, I, I'm not against it. And I, that's why I was happy to support it. But yeah, for once, I was thinking, I don't want to be a politician that neglects some of those bread and butter issues that largely go unnoticed. I actually want to take a little shot at it. I think the other part is it's not every community that's affected by it. And so is it a citywide issue? I would say so. Is it every single ward, every Every person there around council deeply affected by it. No. So I could say that everybody at some point could benefit from the aquatic facility, uh, the underground pipes, maybe a bit of a sideshow for some folks. You're listening to 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And we're the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and this is our interview with Ward 3 Councillor Andrew Stevens. The other thing, though, that everybody could presumably benefit from is if we had some shovel-ready capital projects mounting at $128 million on the transit side. The timing on this was kind of awkward in that we just passed the transit master plan, and then all of a sudden we were talking about transit money. Uh, administration said, look, we've, we know that there's money out there for transit from other, from other funds, but there is nothing for the pool um, like, I, I feel like we've given up something pretty awesome here that would have really made the transit master plan, you know, sort of a remarkable success. That's a good point. Now, I think maybe people should think about what, what was on our list for transit. And I will say quote unquote transit, because if there's a, so for instance, there's another fund for electric buses. Mm-hmm. Let's use that fund for electric buses. That's, I imagine most people are thinking, well, that's transit. What we had applied for and thought about in 2018 before the master plan was ready was downtown transit enhancements, like actually physical infrastructure and connectivity, walk accessibility, transit stops, uh, technology, um, trip booking software, all sorts of important things related to getting around the city. That's what we had actually put in the list. But that's my frustration now is we do have shovel-ready transit projects and now is the time so we let's say there's green money uh or let's say there's money for electric buses specifically and i think there is we should start buying those now and then adding service levels 
So I'm not going to give up on that fight. Um, and I think it's something we should be attentive to. Now, of course, when you buy a bus, I think we still have a little infrastructure project on the go to actually make sure that we can maintain an electric bus. We can mm -hmm. train people to service it. There are real logistics there. I, I don't think we're, can, we're ready for it right now, but we could do that. And I think we just have to make some upgrades to our, our actual facility. But we need to start buying those buses now because the transit master plan also talks about service levels. And that means more buses, which leads to more frequency. But it also comes with operational costs because you need drivers and drivers to be trained. Uh, but we also know that electric buses are less expensive to operate. So it's a, it's a bit frustrating, but don't give up hope. And I yeah. think there's some really cool environmental potential with the aquatic facility just based on some of the ideas we've had about how do we heat it? How do we power it? Um, and there could be some pretty innovative approaches. And I, I think the idea of a geothermal powered pool is being taken very seriously. Uh, by politicians at our level, as well as uh, the city staff. At the same time, though, I mean, one of the things that the transit master plan contemplates beyond electric buses is expanding the number of shelters that we have, uh, introducing heated bus shelters, more of them. And these things are freaking expensive. Like a single bus shelter is thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, I think. And uh, if it's heated, especially, I think that $128 million, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but it seems like that money could have been used to, to, to create, you know, actual bus shelters, actual like, you know, video displays that people can use to know when buses are coming. There were things we could have spent that money on. So. Oh, honestly, we could have probably fulfilled all of those infrastructure asks that were embedded within the transit master plan, not including the buses with $128 million and then some, we could have probably fulfilled uh, like most of the immediate infrastructure needs related to transit from the accessibility to screens, yeah. to shelters. We could have bankrolled it all. I suspect with yeah. that money. With the pool, just side note, could one argue that the reason we don't have money in the uh, recreation master plan balance sheet is because we blew our wad on a, you know, a multi-purpose facility in the form of the Mosaic Stadium. That is an economic catastrophe. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say about it. And no, nobody thinks like this is good economics. Like, here's Andrew Stevens. He's got a flux capacitor and, and he's got a, a time machine. He's soaring at 88 miles an hour. He's going back in time to tell council, what are you out of your mind? Build an aquatic facility, then build a new arena and a baseball diamond, and you're going to have spare change. Yeah. Um, so, and Tim Reed, who, who runs, uh, you know, real, he said this publicly like that. And, and everybody knows this. Um, we get more activation out of the cooperators rinks than we do out of Mosaic Stadium for a fraction yeah. of the cost. Is there any point like we got it, we own it. Um, so without question, these other facilities that we're now booking and budgeting for are so much better from an activation standpoint, multi-use. Think of the Brandt Center by itself. Like if you're mm -hmm. talking about arena, you have a monster truck rally on one day and a Pats game on the next. Uh, we know that we could activate that thing probably every day in some capacity and it would be exceptional and the pool as well. We could, we know there's a need for it. 
that is the big question that mosaic is like a black hole of resources and nobody questions that i this is how i think about it as a kid i remember walking through sears with my mom and she said look mm-hmm. you can get you can spend this much money on toys and i foolishly bought man at arms and he had a giant robotic horse and i remember like it was yesterday thinking do i want this one toy or do i want i was i could got a beast man skeletor and i think it was skunk man and yeah. to this day, I regret getting the lonely man at arms because like he had nobody to fight. He was all by yeah. himself. So now it's like I should have went for a whole bunch of smaller ticket items because I think I would have enjoyed them more. Exactly. Exactly. Um, OK, if pool uh, and I do say I'd like, you know, I've, I use the Lawson myself. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, it'd be great to have another aquatic facility. But if we don't get the money for that. Uh, the other options that were put forward, uh, our backup, our B list, is connecting the bus stops to the sidewalks, basically. Um, energy retrofits for city facilities. The third one is, and it's the biggest ask on here, it's $90 million for the expansion of our wastewater treatment plant. Now, we just finished the wastewater treatment plant six years ago. And we always knew that we'd have to expand it down the line because of population growth. But it looks now like we're going to have to move up when we expand the wastewater treatment plant. And it's related to these, these industrial projects that are moving into the city. So we've got the uh, red leaf pulp with our wheat straw pulp mill, Cargill, Cargill and Vitero with canola crush facilities and Federated uh, Co-op with their uh, diesel fuel canola crush plant. $90 million to expand our wastewater treatment plant. Are these companies, since they're the reason we have to do it, are they going to be stepping up and paying for this expansion to my knowledge with cold hard capital dollars just for the project itself i have seen no indication of such like any user they would pay for it by way of being a consumer of our water system mm-hmm. so no i haven't seen that request and so going back before this was even a pie in the sky idea this kind of big these big industrial development projects in 2018, we were already talk, talking about wastewater capacity upgrades uh, of some $200 million. Okay. So it's, so that's two years after this facility comes online, we're now thinking of, of upgrades. So that, and this is before those uh, industrial consumers would come online. So I, I guess I'd have to say, you know, that's what we do as an, in, as a municipality, we, we water, going in and going out, that's our job. And then they would pay for it by consuming that water. And they're big buyers and they will be big buyers of our, of our water system. So that's where it's at. Have there been discussions with EPCOR about this and are they in, amenable to this? And the reason I ask is back when the uh, public-private partnership was being contemplated, the critics of that um, procurement process were arguing that it isn't the initial negotiation, the initial procurement that gets you into trouble. The municipality gets into trouble when they try to change the deal partway through the life cycle of the plan, which seems very much like what we're doing now. Um, are, we in, are we in danger of kind of getting hosed in all of this? That's a good question. So I think you're always at risk. I don't think it's really come up. And... This isn't a systematic analysis of what it would have been like to have, you know, the city owned and operated versus Epcor, but 
almost every source that I've talked to, whether they were bought into the P3 or not, tells me that it was and continues to be a good deal. Okay. And that we're getting good service and that safety protocols, et cetera. In fact, I have reason to believe that when it comes to the hydrocarbon spills, EPCOR has actually been much better at flagging it, identifying it, and demanding accountability because it damages their facility and then we end up get stuck with the bill. Yeah. So I don't have any reason to believe, and I'm not saying no, but I'm also, I don't want to suggest that there's a problem here. I think this might've been bolted in. I think this is a question that I could ask. I've tried to put the whole P3 argument behind me, um, but I've seen no indication that we need this money because something fell through with that deal. But it, right. it's an interesting question. I think it could be asked. Okay. I think that's, uh, I think that's about all I had. Um, thank you very much. Anytime. Thanks for the question. And we're back from our interview with Ward 3 Councillor Andrew Stevens. Uh, do you know something Something uh, you may not know? What's that? Uh, I have come up with a plan to replace municipal councillors with an app. Oh, yeah? Called Councillor. Will it make council meetings faster? Uh, they will take place in approximately three-tenths of a second, and uh, all the decisions for, for your pathetic meatbag lives will be made up for the next 10 years. Hang on a second. Is this Aiden or is this Morgbot? It's Aiden. Aiden Morgbot. Hey, you know, we kind of have to uh, adjourn this meeting, Morgbot. Oh, I uh, I guess I will second that uh, motion. I, I, I'm usually the one who seconds. Now you're taking my job from me. <laughs> Humor. Irony. Can you load the uh, outro? Yes, Meeting is adjourned. You have been listening to the current Sergeant Improvement Borough on 91.3 FM. Sure, JTR. We broadcast 7 to 8 uh, p.m. on Thursdays. We broadcast Monday afternoons to 4 p.m. Your hosts are Paul Deshen, Aiden Morgan, and Bert. That is me. Uh, coming up next, we've got Midcourt Cabaret, followed by more programming and then music on into the night. Find us on Twitter at current Sergeant uh, and yeah, and CDRCA slash podcast, as well as our very own website, incitypreview.com. That's all. Keep on improving. Urge